I've, I've really always kind of taken the approach of, I can't ask people to do things I won't do myself. If I want my clients to get lean, I've got to show them I can get very lean. If they know I'll push to that level, I have the right to ask them to go to that level as well. I'm not the type of guy that's going to yell at you and get in your face and, you know, give you the rah-rah pep talk. But I will be the one that will, um, I'm going to challenge you and question you. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Klimczewski. Welcome to the Origins Podcast, talking about the nutrition coaching industry and trying to go back and chronicle some of the most important stories that led us to this point in our entire occupation. And of course, you already recognize I have Cliff Wilson with me, and we have a very interesting backstory because uh, as Cliff mentioned to me, without my even knowledge at the time, we had met the very first time, I think the only time, when you, Cliff, had competed in a show I was promoting. Was that, was that in 2008? That was. That was my very first show. So uh, s- some interesting things to pick through. And when I reached out to you and apologized that, gosh, we have never even been in the same room, all of the things we've done for almost two decades, we've just never crossed paths, you said, well, we actually did meet. And uh, it just, that was a there weird was thing. absolutely... There's absolutely no reason you should have remembered me from that show. My physique was not very notable. <laughs> well, I, I could say also, you know, promoting shows, your your brain is in a million different places on that day. But uh, 2008. So this is why I wanted you in my top 10 for this podcast series. Uh, a, your longevity is is remarkable. You were one of the first people, which is what I want to talk about initially, who, who really took the mantle and carried personal nutrition coaching, contest prep coaching into its, its current iteration. And as I've told most people I've talked with in the first few episodes, I certainly did not see any of this coming. You know, matter of fact, as I describe my foray into coaching, it was, of course, just accidental because there was no such thing. And I just started helping some clients, helping some friends. I knew that legally we were up against a wall and that's why I created a licensing company where I could hire a medical director and a dietetics director. And, and because of those obstacles, Cliff, I just never thought there was even a path forward. It's like, I'm, I'm barely kind of skirting under the radar here. I think I'm covering my bases, but this is always just going to be a little side project. As a matter of fact, about 10 years into that process, I, I just kind of left. I decided, well, this isn't where I, I'm necessarily going to head into, you know, for the, the length of my career. And then all of a sudden here comes Lane and Eric Helms and you and Paul Ravella and the, the, the whole surge into creating such academic rigor, all of the research happening, you know, especially now in what we do, it just, it, it kind of surprised me. It took me by storm. And you were one of those first people, and this is where I think there's a little tension uh, unintentionally between us in that as clients and people would talk to me about other things happening, your name kept popping up. Well, Cliff says this and Cliff does this. And, and I, I think you said you got word back that I was um, you know, not happy with you or, or I wasn't uh, uh, supportive of what you were doing. So, so I'd love to hear that side of, of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'll say that. So like, I, I think I was one of the first people doing this without a degree. 
And um, I did have that conversation with, I, and much like yourself, I fell into this sport. I felt, well, I fell into coaching accidentally as well. The, you know, the internet was starting to get really popular. And I know Lane really made um, a, a big mark through the forums. This is going to sound really ignorant now, but back then, um, I never really ventured into the forums. I didn't know, um, I knew that they were social aspects of the internet. And I guess for myself, I was not terribly interested in the social aspect. I was more, you know, nuts and bolts of bodybuilding. Um, and so I, I never went into the bodybuilding.com forums. <laughs> so um, everybody, you know, I was talking with Alberto Nunez even uh, like last year or whatever. And he was like, he's like, I never even really saw you on the forums. I'm like, I didn't really know what was going on in there. Um, all I knew the, the only people that I knew that were coaching at the time were like you and Lane and, um, the guy that was coaching Ronnie Coleman for a while, Chad Nichols. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and so, um, I, I was very interested in like what Chad Nichols was doing because he was like just coaching bodybuilders. Um, and that was very intriguing to me. Um, but, um, you know, I had questions about whether or not, um, well, let me put it this way, actually. So I started, I did, I did your first show. Um, and around that time, um, I walked into the gym one day and I was with one of my friends. He's like seven foot tall. We played basketball together in high school and college. And, um, I saw a kid who was a couple of years younger than me and, um, just, you know, you can spot great genetics when you see them, you know? And I just said, man, if I had that guy's genetics, what I could do with it, I could tell by watching him, he didn't really know what he was doing. And my buddy goes, well, let's find out. And he goes, uh, you should do a bodybuilding show. My friend will help you. And um, I was like, and I was like, yeah. And I, we just kind of became training partners. You know, I didn't really, um, I wasn't like charging him or anything like that. And then um, a couple months went by and he was making good progress. And we were just training together every day. And he saw another guy in the gym that had unreal genetics too. And he was like, he's like, hey, you should do the show with me. And then what do you know? I'm helping two people. Um, like I said, just wasn't, wasn't really coaching and um anyway i put them in the nanbf mr illinois contest in 2009 so about a year after i did my first show and yeah i mean i wasn't doing anything no email i would meet him at the gym and i would scribble on a piece of paper you know here follow these macros for a day you know for, for the week or whatever and we'll check in and see how you look next week and um and so about a year later um we put him on stage and um one guy won the overall uh and the other one took second in the novice division and back when novice divisions were like really competitive you know there was like eight guys in that class and um after that and and lane happened to be at that show and um and uh after the show lane came up to me and he's like wow he's like i haven't seen hardly anybody get someone that lean before and um he's like you know, you could make a career out of this. And uh, it hadn't really occurred to me to make a career out of it, to be honest with you. Like you said, I, I was just scribbling on pieces of paper at the gym. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I had the question of, was I qualified to be doing it? Um, and I discussed it with my dad. So my dad um, is a PhD in plant pathology. Mm. And I had a question, you know, I, I asked him, like, should I be doing this? And you know, he had an interesting take on it. He said that one time he went to a conference on plant pathology and, you know, um, everybody would, you know, there were a lot of speakers at the event. And he said that one guy came up and he didn't have a degree. He had, I think he had a bachelor's in some sort of business management or something, nothing to do with 
plant pathology, but he get, but he had been on the business side of things so much that he had started to get involved for so long. He had started to get involved on the pathology side. And he said that he gave a presentation that really blew everybody away. It was what he had seen working in the field. Um, his thoughts about maybe why it was working. Um, and kind of put it out to the rest of the scientists, the scientists in the office, to, in the um, audience to test it. You know, I have these ideas, I've done this and I've seen this work. And he said that everybody was kind of blown away. And he said a lot of the things that he proposed ended up um, getting tested by the people in that audience and turned out to be true. Some not as true, but then they found other reasons why these things were working in the field. And my dad kind of put it to me that maybe I could be that guy. You know, um, you know, and so I was like, you know, I, I could be that guy because I up to that point before I did my first show, I used to do just a lot of wacky stuff on myself just to see what would happen. I mean, I have I have in these closets right over here, I have notebooks from 2006 and stuff where I would just be like, what happens if I eat 400 grams of protein and try to keep carbs and fat as well as possible? And I'd try that for a month. I just wanted to see how I felt, how I trained, you know, how I looked. Um, and then I tried the opposite, right? Lower protein, lower carbs, or lower fat, high carbs. And I would just kind of, I would just try things. And um, I felt like when I got into coaching, I had done so many like, you know, guinea pig, so much guinea pigging on myself. I felt like I had a, 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 at least a decent handle of the practical applications of certain things. Um, <clears throat> and so um, I kind of went about it that way. Um, and yeah, when I first got into it, I know a lot of people weren't too happy that I was doing this without a degree. Lane was, Lane was really welcoming to me, but I think at the time he was probably the only one. Well, you know, I mean, you bring up a good point and that's where Lane and I had a couple early disagreements. And from my perspective, because I was always a little bit um, leery and maybe, maybe just too accepting of the legal dogma, you know, every single state I'd looked up the statutes and I knew where the harshest ones were like Ohio and Florida. And if you're not an RD or an MD, you just can't do this. And now 20 some years later, a lot of state legislators, which is very strange to me, I still don't know like who, who even proposed this in the Indiana state house in the last 20 years, they have changed it. So now you're restricted to not doing medical nutrition therapy but very much like personal training, it's, it's logical now looking back that, you know, as long as you have some credibility, you're, you're always going to be on the line, on the hook for any sheer negligence. Anybody can sue anybody. And if you're presenting your case in front of a judge or a jury and you've just done something horrible, I don't care if you're an RDMD or not, like you're, you're still liable. But the, the, the laws were so strict. I just thought, okay, here's the playing field we have to be in. And I'm even with a doctorate in nutrition, I'm not qualified legally to even be doing what I'm doing. So when other people started coming up, I thought, okay, wait a second. This is, this is going to be like Napster 2.0. You know, it's like, mu like, like music piracy. This is going to, the, the whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down so I was not accepting of anybody. I was always looking over my own shoulder, Cliff. And then Lane, when he came, you know, onto the scene, uh, as you said, he was like, yeah, anybody can be a coach. Everybody should do this. It's great. Let's, let's all do this together. Kumbaya. And I'm like, whoa, like, hang on. Like there, there are these laws and, and we should probably, you know, respect those. And now I see that in sheer mass, 
my blind spot was just simply, and it's what I'm trying to correct now, just making sure that we enforce, create the standards of practice, the scope of practice that makes us self-reliantly accepted. So, and I think this has been tested. There have been some legal cases, but, you know, imagine a judge now where a nutrition coach is sued and the person said, yeah, my coach wanted me to eat 150 grams of carbs, this much protein within the RDA, you know, variants and this and this. And the judge would be like, well, what's wrong with that? Like, did he tell you to do anything stupid? Like tell you to jump off a cliff, eat zero carbs fast for two months. Like, like, and, and of course, if you can defend yourself, any judge would say, well, that's, that's normal. That's, you know, the judge probably has a personal trainer who has done the same with, with him or her. So it was a whole different world than 2008 and before. And so, so personally, any animosity that you might've felt from me was never directed at you. That was just kind of my shield against what I saw happening in the industry that I thought could, could be a hindrance to everybody. Well, you know, in retrospect, it actually turned out to be a good thing. So um, I know that there were some like, and, uh, you know, I know that there were some comments that I think had been posted in your team's Facebook page um, about something about me. And it had kind of gotten passed around my clients at the time. And it actually turned out to be very helpful because we kind of... Um, me and my smaller group at the time there was probably only like 12 clients that I had really used it as a, um, the industry does not want us here <laughs> and we're gonna, we're gonna push back against that. And I, I did use it as like a, um, you know, and, and this is aside from the nutrition argument, but there's definitely a, a strong psychological component to the sport of bodybuilding. Um, you know, because it does become like how, how disciplined can you be? And so um, I believe that I think that especially for, I had mostly competitors at the time, you know, first time competitors. I think that for um, other them thinking that other people wanted to see them fail, it kind of fired them up and, you know, got the best out of them in that, that first going. And I, I, I seven of the first eight shows that I had a client in, I had an overall winner. Um, and so it was like, you know, one after another and it was, um, and, and it really became like a good um, source of motivation for a lot of my clients in the early going. And they, they did rally around me. Um, and, and you're right, though, um, in those early days, I mean, there was also a lot of negligent uh, like activities going on with coaches that weren't um, educated uh, because, you know, people were just throwing out crazy stuff and uh, with extremely high cardio, you know, extremely low calorie plants. Um, one thing I was always careful of, you know, we all do our best, right? But it's not to say I didn't ever make mistakes along the way, but I always try to be careful of looking for my blind spots. You know, what do I know? What don't I know? And I remember um, I told myself early on to get comfortable saying I don't know. Um, you know, so there were a few times I would do an interview or um, I was on a couple of speaking panels and I would just say, you know, if they would ask me a question, I would just say, you know, I'm not really sure in that you might want to ask that question to so, and so they're a little more well, uh, educated in that area. And so I think that over the time also, it's like, if you don't know, you say, you don't know, then you kind of just freed up to go learn about it. <laughs> and then, and then over the time, over the course of time, you, you know, after, you know, a good 12 years now here, um, you know, it's like, I find that 
I've said, I don't know along the way. And now I don't have to say, I don't know as much because I'm free to just go learn about it. <laughs> well, you know, and, and now again, another thing that's different from 14 years ago is with social media and just an almost singularity of knowledge and information, uh, it, it is different and uh, knowledge can be had much quicker and more thoroughly in different ways. A friend of mine is the Dean of Medicine at Purdue University. And he said he sees in the very near future a point where you don't even have to go to medical school. You know, if you can learn on your own, do what you need to do, and then just go past your boards, you're in. You're, 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 you're a physician. You'll get licensed. Well, that, so that was the early stages. So I went to school for a year. I went to college for a year. Um, I went for basketball purposes, if I'm being honest with myself. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. You know, I, I chose business as a major because it was like a placeholder. You know, I was 19 years old and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was on a, I was on a partial scholarship, so I still had to pay some. And, um, I had, I, I had some family issues at the moment. Um, and so, you know, things at home were really tough. Um, I didn't have money for school. And also, um, I was always, I always got, you know, great grades in high school and in the year I was in college. Um, but I didn't usually listen to what the teacher was saying. I'm like, the book is right here. I'll just read, it, you know, um, and I'm the type of person where I learn better by reading than listening anyway. And um, finally, after about a year, I was like, I'm paying a lot of money. I can, just, you know, purchase these books on my own. That's how I was learning anyway. I was just reading. Um, and the internet was becoming much more mainstream in around 2004, you know, so sometime around there. And, um, you know, I worked a lot of odd jobs after college until I was figuring out what I wanted to do, but I was so interested in bodybuilding. Um, I would go on and I would try to gain access to whatever studies I could gain access to. Um, I, I would, you know, purchase studies. I would, uh, read the, I was so poor, but so I would read the, the, uh, you know, you, you could go on Google book search and you could read a, a quite a few textbooks through Google book search. And, um, I was just, and, you know, I wasn't even trying to make it a career, but I was just learning, you know, everything that I could through my own. And I did kind of take the approach of, um, I was like, man, I'm paying thousands and thousands of dollars for these two semesters of school. And I was like, this information's free or cheap. Uh, and I was like, I can, I can learn it on my own. I, and I remember I got into an argument with one of my professors the first year of school. Um, and he was like, you know, who's here for the piece of paper? You know, who's here for the piece of paper that say you can get a job and who's here to learn and better yourself. And I just, I raised my hand, honestly, I was like, I'm here for the piece of paper. He's like, you don't want to learn and better yourself. I'm like, I feel comfortable doing that on my own. I was like, I'm very interested in self-development. I don't need someone to push me along. You know, I was like, I can, I can buy these books. I can read it on my own. I, you know, I can, I can chat with other people whose opinions I respect. And I, and um, he didn't like that answer, but I, I do, I've always been a big proponent of self-directed education, but I don't think it's for everyone. You know, I think that you got to have it. it, There's different fits for everybody. Um, One thing I I always say about like a self-directed education is that I don't think you'll ever get as much isolated information, bits of information as someone who goes to school. Um, So I think it's two different learning styles, but um, the advantage it gave me is like every time I got one bit of information, I had to you know, in school, they'll, they'll say, here's this information and here's how it connects to this information, if that makes sense. They kind of lay out the path for you. Um, the, the disadvantage is like when I would get a piece of information, I'm like, okay, how does this connect to everything else? So that's the disadvantage is you don't know what it connects to. The advantage is that I would get one bit of information and I had to look at it from every single angle 
than to find out what it connects to. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. I mean, in a, in an ideal world, you'd probably, um, do a, a fair amount of bull. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree that anybody with the work ethic can outperform and outsucceed somebody with a formal education. And, and we have a bunch of parallels that I'm picking up between us as well. And one is that I didn't have money for college either. And so I went to the military and I'd love to say I went to the military to serve my country, rah, rah, but I went in during peacetime for the GI bill. And, yeah. and after I got out, um, you know, the first Gulf war happened and I was on inactive reserves. I was definitely packed and ready to go. Didn't have to, but I was definitely, you know, there because I didn't have any other resources to, to move forward in my 17 year old opinion. Um, but what I found is once I got into those academic settings, a, it was just to build a career because growing up in poverty and seeing just zero opportunity. And yet I had friends who were going off to college and so forth. And, and I could see where their careers were going to go that, you know, that's what I did. And so I was off to the IU med school for physical therapy school, became a physical therapist, but at the same time I had my bodybuilding hobby going. And once I graduated was seeing patients in an orthopedic setting, I, you know, that bug was there. I was learning. I loved it. And, and every professor, you know, especially when I got into graduate school, you know, I, I could see these people with 20, 30, 40 years of immense knowledge and expertise. And each one was funneling that into me. And like yourself, Cliff, I, I knew I could read these books on my own, but would I be forced to write these papers, do this research and, and, and have all of this extra stuff added on to me? So probably due to my growing up under-resourced and without a lot of hope, once that bug bit me, I was like, man, this is just too fun. And so I've continued on with just tons of postgraduate work, sometimes literally just for fun, because that's almost like why people hire us to coach them. Like I look at those degree programs and those professors as coaches, they're going to get more out of me and they're going to push me harder than I would push myself. And so I, I like that, but, but for the sense of our occupation coaching, that's why I completely went the other direction and tried to correct that miss in my own career judgment, which is, okay, this, this is happening. This, this is now an occupation. People are doing this. People are getting all kinds of degrees and they're, you know, even becoming tenured professors, all looking at exercise science and nutrition for physique sport. And so I'm either, I, I can no longer just dig my heels in and fight it or, or think that it's not going to happen. It's here. So that's when I, I started creating certification programs, started mentoring people on the business side. Uh, I, you know, we started our, our licensing program kind of shift toward those other modalities of, of certification uh, because I just knew people like yourself were, were going to carry that mantle forward. And let's, uh, let, let's, let's go back just a step and, and, because I think this is always interesting to people, especially so many people are going to see you as a forever father figure of this industry. Like you're, you're like the original founding fathers of our country. You, you will always be named in that first generation of coaches who, who brought this into fruition. So you were interested in basketball. You were in the gym. When did you first decide, man, just, just the sheer pursuit of strength and physique and bodybuilding you know, really captured you, you know, how did that transition happen? And, and then I'll, I'll probably follow up and, and talk about a little bit more, you know, moving into your career. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny in retrospect, I think sometimes you get glimpses of like things you'll be interested in. Um, I was so obsessed with basketball in my youth. But I remember one time my stepdad was watching Pumping Iron and it caught my attention. I was probably like nine, 10 years old, but I was like, what's this about? You know, and um, I watched it and it did make an impact on me. But then I went right along with my basketball. Um, I went to um, <clears throat> Valparaiso University and I remember we went for conditioning. And I was I was skinny fat, you know, I'm six one and they they were taking um, all of the, you know, so I'm a freshman and they were taking all of our heights and they did the caliper body fat test, height, weight, caliper body fat before we started conditioning. And, you know, I mean, so I, I was I play, so I, I played basketball, but I'm not like this terribly gifted athlete. I, I was I was skilled. I'm not the highest jumper, the fastest runner, but these other people were a division one athletes, you know? And so they're, they're reading off the heights, weights and body fat. And we're, you know, so-and-so six foot six, you know, six foot six, you know, 215 pounds, 8% body fat. And, you know, they're reading them all off. And then they get to me W I'm last, you know, Wilson. And they're like, Cliff Wilson, six, one, 156, 14% body fat, you know? So I was, I was total skinny fat. And one of the seniors sitting next to me, he looks at me, he goes, damn, he goes, you got to fix that. And I was like, all right. So they got me in the weight room and I just remember I started, it was fun. Um, you know, and it was, it was a big, and I, you know, I don't need to go too big into it, but, um, it was a real transitionary period. I had a really wild high school years. Like I said, my, my, my home life was pretty, um, chaotic in those years and um i loved basketball but i kind of started to realize basketball was something that um i did love but it started to be used a little bit as an escape from home issues and so um then you know i go off to college and i'm playing basketball and i'm starting to realize like i'm having more fun in the gym than i am playing basketball you know um it was something that was just pure fun <laughs> and, and it it was it was I don't know. It was good to just have something that was pure fun and wasn't being used as an escape at that point. And so, um, yeah, I remember I was really looking forward. Everybody else was dreading conditioning, you know, and I was like, let's do this. Let's, you know, let's go bench press. Let's go squat. Let's, let's do this. And I just remember having a great time in the gym. Um, when I, when I went off to school. That's awesome. So, so again, that's a, that's a common thread with almost everybody. As I've talked to, Lane and Paul and Eric Helms. I mean, we, we all seem to have that moment. Like for me, a little bit earlier uh, because of my age, but you know, it was Lou Ferrigno in The Incredible Hulk on TV yeah. and Conan the Barbarian, you know, Arnold. And then you get into like Rocky two and Rocky three. And all of a sudden I'm going from a five or six year old kid enthralled by these caricatures of, of muscle and, and just superhero type physiques. And um, I mean, my dad buys a, a weight set. So all of a sudden there's these plastic covered cement weights at the little Joe Weider bench in the living room. And so I'm messing around with that. And then, you know, I'm in the seventh grade and we have in our gym class, a little segment on weightlifting. And, and I, I think for anybody, like when you just feel that effect on your body, you know, the exertion, the, the sweating, the soreness that like, I think even after a workout, like you can tell like, wow, I just feel different, you know, whether you really do or not like you're, you're you know something is there and so we all kind of have that as a background I think that that we just saw that there was a path we could take for self-improvement that of course goes into especially at those ages sexuality and uh just just you know strength and and 
competition among peers, but also that, that link to sport, you know, for me, it was baseball. When I got to the pony leagues, I, I had been a, a dominant catcher in, in the minor and major leagues. And then all of a sudden, you know, the baseball field is a full-size field. And all of a sudden I, I could barely get the ball to second base from behind the plate. So I had this coach at 13 years old, you know, you got to lift weights, got to lift weights, this 80 year old guy. So I'm just furiously back home lifting weights, then start high school. And we have a, a, it was, it was called co-ed bodybuilding and fitness where one your gym class and elective, you, you just went into the gym three days a week to train and two alternate days to run. And so it was just, it was part of me since I was 11 or 12 years old. And like you mentioned, any good science-minded person loves just the experimental process. So I too have a file cabinet full of all of my notebooks and notes <laughs> from my entire career, body comp stuff. I've done you know long-term stints of pure keto, vegetarianism, uh, just everything you could do with, with body comp analysis, you know, DEXA scans and so forth to try and prove this. I did a master's thesis on protein utilization and, you know, my first dissertation on something similar. And, and so, you know, the, the fact that you were that inquisitive and you were doing it for fun, I think is the perfect setup for somebody who just has the passion to take it as far as you did. And your, your company tagline is intensity is everything. And that is at the heart of my core as well. And both in um, some of the things that we, we see in nutrition research and training, it seems like our academic world is kind of pushing away from that. Uh, like like the, when I hear intensity is everything, I think of the Mike Menser, the Dorian Yates type of training. As Lane told you with the first couple of clients you put on stage, I've never seen anybody get that lean. Like you're willing to push farther and do more than anybody else to get that prize as a person and as a coach. And that, again, I mean, that's a shared value I have because I've certainly lived that and that's where my success came from in my career. But, but tell, tell me where that took you as a mentality into what you wanted to accomplish once your career was in motion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because sometimes when I say intensity is everything people on the outside of my clientele, they always think it's like a training approach, right? It's like, you know, just, we're just, I kind of just apply it to, everything you know right. you're 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 you know you're it, when you're going for something you're kind of all in on it um and um you know it's it, it's it was never meant to be a training aspect and um i i i kind of took it from i had great grade school and high school basketball coaches um and you know i mean the way my fifth grade fifth or eighth grade basketball coaches coached us you probably can't coach 11 12 13 year olds <laughs> that way anymore i mean they were, they were so hard on us, but it was so good for me. I mean, it was so good and it was, it was intense and it was, um, you know, I don't care if it's sixth grade basketball, we're here, we're here to, you know, I, give it everything we got, you know? And so, um, that was kind of the approach. It was definitely that mentality that was borrowed and brought into the, you know, the team aspect of my clients. I wanted to, um, instill, um, you know, I, one thing I would say is like, we, my, my clients have done a lot of winning, but I always try to de-emphasize the winning. It's our process. You know, it's a, I would say winning, winning isn't what we do. It's side effects. It's a nice side effect of what we do. Um, and, you know, and, and, it, and you're right. I do enjoy, I, even though I didn't go to school um, for science, I'm a very science minded person. And one thing I've always enjoyed about coaching in general is 
I mean, every week it's like a scientific process, right? I get a person, uh, they check in and I have to form a hypothesis about what will create the outcome at the end of the week that I am trying to achieve. So I, you know, I create my hypothesis and then they go test, you know, they go carry it out. And then we view the results uh, at the end of the week. And then I roll that result into my next hypothesis into the next following week. And it's just this repeated, repeated. And then even on a larger scale, it plays out, right? I, ha- I form hypothesis about what the entire um, prep should look like and what their ideal look will be. And then, um, you know, we carry it out. And then the judges, uh, the judges, scores are the result of that. And then we roll that into our next one for the next prep. And it's just this like repeating cycle that I really enjoy. Plus, you know, as an athlete, you just love the, um, the physical process of it as well. The effort, the physical, I mean, it's such a physical and mental endeavor that kind of ties together so nicely. And so, you know, I carried that into my coaching. Um, I was really fortunate because probably the first good dozen or so of my clients that competed were first time competitors. Um, and you know, it was so new. I remember, um, they were mostly local, but then I started to get more people that were online. Um, and I had to try to get, I had to convince people I could do this online. Um, and actually, at least for myself, I found I was better at doing it online than in person. Um, I'm much more of an analytical person. And sometimes I don't always, or especially that time, I didn't always understand the way other people think. Um, I know that my mentality sometimes tends to be a little, my thought processes tend to be a little bit different than other people's. So it was really helpful for me to have a buffer of email, or I could also put photos side by side, sometimes even just 15 seconds to think about what I need to say to this person to get them on board with the plan, you know? Um, and so it was, it was extremely helpful. I did even better. My clients that were online did even better than my clients that were in person. I, I totally agree. Matter of fact, so there was that time frame before you and I had ever met until I, I kind of took a little sabbatical from the industry. And in that 10 or so year run, it, it was almost kind of a Babe Ruth era where I was the only guy doing this. And I was doing things unconventionally enough in finding success that before anybody else really stepped in, I had helped clients win over 400 pro cards and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, looking back, that particular era was me, as you said, hypothesizing, making changes and, and creating what I thought was, quote, the right approach. And then the next 10 years of my career has been realizing, well, there are actually plenty of different tools and you can use any kind of process for somebody who a needs that genetically or just whatever margin of error you have for flexibility and what they prefer. And and then of course the, the coaching process is mainly that entire scientific method you described in motion perpetually, you're constantly observing and assessing and then fine tuning and observing and assessing. And it's a nonstop scientific method type experiment. And, and that's again, one of those threads that we share in when I was 19 or 20, getting ready for my first bodybuilding contest, and then you compete, you instantly can observe and assess how it went. And like everybody else, you, you wake up on contest day and it's the worst you've looked. And I had to figure out why. And then I, I very early on, I got snagged into this organization to start promoting shows. And so now I'm promoting shows and I'm seeing 50 competitors on a weekend kind of going through the same thing. And I'm talking to them. 
And in my early 20s, you know, now I'm into undergrad stuff and learning physiology. And, and I'm thinking, well, why is it the same story? Why is everybody disappointed on contest day? Like, what's going on? And, and so, of course, the, all the needles pointed to the fact that we're just using old school conventional peaking approach. I mean, the same thing. It was it was the way everything was done. So that's what I started keeping water in, not dehydrating people, not manipulating sodium quite as harshly, not doing the carbohydrate deplete and load. And I got pegged early in my career for inventing the front load because I would take a week out, seven, six, five days before the contest. And I would use that instead of a depletion phase to just start saying, well, let's kind of find that glycogen threshold. Then we'll do kind of a mild depletion and then push the load up as high as we can. So it wasn't really a front load. It was kind of an undulating load. What, what was the beginning of what I do now mostly, which is a progressive linear load. But as I was figuring all that out, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients at a time in a year that I could do these things with. And even though there was a lot of success, I mean, there was, there was also just a lot of experimentation. I mean, you're, you're trying these things out with multiple subjects, including yourself. And I feel like my, my interpretation of your early career was very similar. You jumped in and you thought, hang on a second, I can do better, you know, hold my beer. I'm going to do something differently and show everybody how good you can be. And, and this is a question because I, I believe you also have really bifurcated out and you don't necessarily use a single approach. I'm sure you don't. Um, so, so explain how, just, just the process and in, in what helped you conceptualize the need for these different things and, and what you were seeing in the industry that you didn't like that you thought you could improve on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I guess it kind of also goes back to, um, I had gone such a self-directed path that I, I think I was kind of very open to all options, if that makes sense. And so, um, <clears throat> and you know, what also is very helpful too is that um, I, I was kind of, I was reading as much research and, you know, and, and textbooks that I could get my hands on. Um, and my first two clients, those, two, those guys I helped, like clients, you know, they're <laughs> the first two guys I helped, um, they were both black. And one thing that was very interesting to me is that I had been experimenting myself for years at this point. Um, and a lot of research is done on like, you know, college white guys, you know, and what was working for me and what I had read to kind of be effective in research just was not working quite as well for them. And, um, they were, <clears throat> they, they, it was so good. They were willing to work with me after about three months of working with them. I was like, man, you know, we're not progressing. Like I expected, can we kind of hit the reset button? We can just try some different things. And man, I'm so lucky. Uh, uh their names are Kenny and AJ and they, they, I'm so lucky that they were like, patient you know they were like let's do it you know and we <clears throat> i switched some things up and i would just try some things with them and it worked so well namely lower carb higher fat approaches which you know over the years i've, I've tended to find works quite well for uh it does it seems to work a lot better for black competitors than white competitors um like you said it just genetically i think people just have different needs based on you know their ancestry um so um <clears throat> then you know so I started uh, the first year or so uh, that I was really getting people on stage beyond those two. I was using like um, more front loading ish type stuff. Um, <clears throat> it's what I knew a lot of other people were doing and I was, I was having good luck. I, I would say like my, 
my measure for success of a peak week is, is a peak week a success? Do you look better at the end of the week than the beginning? If you do, then it's a success. And then there's, there's a spectrum of success, right? There's degrees of it. And so, um, but one thing I was noticing is like, <clears throat> people would look better sometimes on the more aggressive feed. Um, may, maybe, maybe even at the beginning of the week, you know, they would look a little bit better. And so I didn't know exactly what was going on. It was almost as if, and I still don't know this, but I'm just kind of throwing this out here. It was almost as if when you come from this like thoroughly depleted state, pushing fluid into the muscle, you know, it's like most things in the body, there's like this pendulum effect, right? You deplete carbs and the body creates more room in the muscle for carbs. Um, it's almost like you swing it one way and you can't swing it back that way again. Um, and I just noticed like the more aggressively people were fed up, <clears throat> the more, the better they looked. And so I kind of tinker around with, well, what if I deplete them and then load them for four days and then three days and then two days. And then finally I was like, why don't I just shove it into one day and see what I could do. And I had another client at the time who was always lean. He just genetically was that. And I was like, can I just like test this thing out on you? You know, not on a show capacity. And he's like, sure, let's do it. And, um, so I tested like doing his entire carb load in one day. And I kind of started with like, you know, I was running down the math, like how much might he, how many carbohydrates might he just utilize during that day? And I just kind of, you know, all right, he might utilize this many carbs. How many, how much carbs does he need to fill out from a completely depleted state? All right, this many carbs. And then, you know, take into account that he's probably going to like, he's probably going to use even more because his, his body temperature is going to rise like crazy as he's feeding so much. So I just ended up with like this good, huge chunk of number and it, it worked really well. Um, and I utilized it more in the beginning and it was different, but as the, as the, I used it for the first year or two and I was proud of that, you know, I was proud of, I, I did something new, you know, I was, I was proud of that. But then as it went on, I'm realizing <clears throat> I'd spent a lot of time, trying to hone this craft of peaking, you know? And so I tried to actually stop talking about it as much and that, the, that rapid backload peaking approach, because um, it wasn't the only peaking method I was using. You know, I would use front load, especially for like a bikini competitor or somebody that, um, you know, some people, when you load them, they initially look, some people you load them and they initially look hard and grainy. And some people, when you load them, it's almost like there's a transient period where they're, you know, glucose doesn't assimilate into glycogen right away. So they look soft and then they look hard. So, you know, for those people, maybe I'd kind of like load them midweek and then back off just a little bit. Um, so I tried to like backpedal in terms of like letting everyone know, Hey, th while this is cool, it's not the only thing that I'm doing. Um, and still to this day, people kind of don't want to hear when I say that. Absolutely. I'm like, I, I mean, it is the famous <laughs> Cliff Wilson rapid backload. I mean, that was your, yeah. your contribution. And, and again, it, like you said, it's because of the novelty. It's like, wait, well, this is new. This is cool. Yeah. And, and I was, pr I was proud that I did something different, but then I, like I said, I was trying to like, and even to this day, sometimes like uh, I'll, I'll get like a interview for like a interview request for a podcast. And they'll be like, we want to talk all about the rapid backload. And I'm like, I use like several other styles, like, you know, I, I would say I still use it a lot, but, you know, I think as a coach, the more tools in your tool bag, the better, you know, and I, and it just doesn't sound as exciting to say, Hey guys, let's try this like holistic view of coaching and not this, uh, you know, one trick pony thing. <laughs> it's hard to sell. Yeah. That's, that's, that's been the bane of my existence is like flexible dieting, macronutrient tracking. How do you make that sound sexy and fun? 
Yeah, it's it's actually math and common sense. Um, yeah, you're not yeah, going to sell it, too many books doing that. Yeah, but, exactly. And <laughs> and and you know, and, and it does get um, it does get hard. It, it's hard to strike that balance, right? As a as a coach, because ultimately this is still a business we're trying to run, and so it's like, how do I how do I explain things in a practical, useful, and for lack of a better term, optimized way, you know, for, to make people the best coaches they can, but also make it attractive to people. Because I mean, the most, uh, the thing most people find attractive is usually novel and exciting and black and white, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it gets hard to balance that for sure. Well, I, I think one of the things, and this is what I want to talk about for a second, you know, you, you have created a mystique, a lore and, not only the moniker intensity is everything, but when, when people look at your own personal contest photos as an ectomorph who could get lean, who was willing to do whatever it took to gain the muscle and the strength and earn that conditioning. I mean, you've got a badass, hard edged vibe to you as a competitor, you as a coach and you as a business owner. And so, you know, there are a lot of people who are proud of that. And, and in, in my era, you know, that I, I enjoy that same thing. I know what you're feeling and, and what you've created and, and how rightly proud you should be. And I think that's a big part of that buy-in. As you said, intensity is everything isn't just about training. It's about your approach. It's about your commitment. It's about being all in. And that, that psychological aspect of coaching, I, I, every single year I pick a word that I want to center change, my own personal change around. And in the last three years, one of those words was inspire. It's still written on my daily calendar off to my right here. And, and it's because, Cliff, I also, like you, you, you said you love the nuts and bolts of this. You're digging in and you're being very scientific and methodological. And, and I as well. I mean, I, I'm a technocrat. That's what I love to do. I'm an introvert scientist. That's what I do. So to try to be outwardly motivational, inspirational and grab clients by the collar and say, come on, you can fucking do this. Like, come on, like you got to get in the game with me. Um, you know, that's a big part of what we do. We have to be able to motivate any any performance sport coach has that. And I, and I feel like that's still a bit of an untapped potential in some people who want to coach. And that is a differential in, in really successful coaches of all types. So is that intentional on your part? Do you find yourself saying, okay, I got to go into psycho coach mode here, or is it just part of who you are? You know, I, I think that I've tried to stay very true to myself in terms of like, the version of myself that I give people, right? There are parts of me that I keep just for me and my family, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I've really always kind of taken the approach of, I can't ask people to do things I won't do myself. Um, you know, and so I, I kind of told myself, like, if I want my clients to get lean, I've got to show them I can get very lean. You know, if they know, you know, if they know I'll push to that level, then, you know, I have the right to ask them, you know, to ask them to go to that level as well. Um, I, have always been, I've always been a pretty extreme person. You know, it's funny because I, I, I think it's, it's interesting because I'm not the kind of guy that's usually going to yell and get in your face. I, I'm, but I am very blunt and straightforward to my clients, you know, Hey, you need to do this. And, and there have been times where sometimes a client isn't, um, isn't, you know, they don't seem all in. And sometimes I'll just say like, you know, I'm not sure if this sport is for you, <laughs> you know? And sometimes those, 
those words can hit hard, even if they're just said in a very calm, you know, blunt matter. Um, so it, it's very interesting. I, I think I've kind of found my own. I, I realized along the way, though, I've kind of found my own brand of motivation, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm not I'm not the type of guy that's going to yell at you and get in your face and, you know, give you the rah-rah pep talk. But I will be the one that will, um, I'm going to challenge you and question you. You know, I, 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 um, I always say that I, I've actually gotten, the, the, the way I've come to it more is that um, I kind of re- reverse engineered the process that I kind of, you know, we all kind of haphazardly get to a point where we've gone through our own process. And so I kind of try to reverse engineer it and guide people, if that makes sense. I, I, I want to ask them questions. I, I want them to ask themselves questions and I want to ask them questions that will lead them to the correct answers, if that makes sense. Like, and so, um, no, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I've, I went to a wedding just fairly recently where I was, I don't even know what I was talking about. I was talking with my, me and my fiance were there and I was talking to her and her friend from college. And I said, we're just talking about normal stuff. I don't even know. And she goes, you're kind of an extreme guy, aren't you? And I, I guess I, I don't, sometimes I don't tend to think of myself that way. I just kind of do what feels good and what feels natural to me. Um, but I've realized that I do tend to go all in on things. And um, I guess I've just kind of taken the approach of, I do it without even feeling extreme. You know, I'm not the guy that's like, I'm not pushing myself to do things. I'm just going into them full go and it feels natural. And so I guess I've taken the approach with my clients of if I can do this without having to push myself to do it, I just kind of will let's walk you into these extremes. Does that make sense? I know it sounds. And well, I mean, you look at some of the greatest coaches ever, like Mike Krzyzewski and so forth. And, and there is, I mean, as you're describing it, there's, there's the confidence and there's the calmness, you know, they don't have to rant and rave. Um, And I think just the fact that you create uh, this sense of, of ownership that, that people respond. And when you do have that group dynamic, uh, an entire team of clients, uh, who are not just centered around you. Uh, they obviously want to please you in a sense. Uh, they have the, the positive support of other, you know, team Wilson, you know, members and so forth. And, and so it does just create that positive synergy. Uh, but at the same time, there is a definite ethic of discipline. At least I get that from the clients of yours that I know and, and I think that's, that's part of what has really helped you slice your way to the top of the industry. I, I yeah. You, so, you know, I, there, there's a good point. You actually mentioned something that it just came to my mind probably around 2013, maybe early 2014. You know, I had this like private, I still have this private Facebook group for all my clients where they can interact with each other. And I remember there was a period where there was a lot of complaining going on, you know, I'm hungry, I'm tired. And <clears throat> it kind of became this bitch fest, you know, like we're just going to complain. I just, I made a post. I was like, you know, there are hard aspects to the sport, but we're here because ultimately it's a net enjoyable experience for us or net positive, even if not necessarily enjoyable, it gives us something. Um, and I, I just said, I would really like it if, you know, we all get to these, we all get these great results and people on the outside are looking at us thinking, how do they make it look so easy? You know, and I was like, I think that's something to aspire to. I was like, you know, it doesn't mean you never complain, but maybe let's, you know, let's talk to our loved ones about the challenges of it. Talk to me about it. You know, let's not make this this public complaining thing. And I said, you know, I think it's 
it's something to strive for to do things that seem very hard, but then do it with your head, you know, your head held high and welcome it. And so I, I really do try to like, um, I try to instill in my clients along the way that there is like a lot of virtue in, in working hard and enjoying the hard work um, instead of complaining every step of the way. And um, you know, I'll be damned. They, they really embraced it. And one thing that has been so great, it's like this kind of, you know, and I didn't, I was so young when I started all this, but I didn't really foresee how it would play out. You know, I, I said something and then the people that were competing, they, they took it to heart and they did it. And then it was almost like I didn't even need to continue to reinstill it because then when this group did it, the group that was going to compete it the following year, they watched how those guys did it, you know? And then they were like, that's how I do it. And it was almost like this like thing that just took off and ran on its own because every group that's competing the following year, they're watching this group that's getting on stage now do it. And they're like, okay, that's the, that's the pattern, right? You know, that's how I do it. And it's, it's, um, you know, I, I really, I really mean it when I say this. And sometimes I think people think I'm just like trying to put this like humble thing out there, but it is true. You're as a coach, you're only as good as the talent you have. And when I say talent, it's not always like, genetics or building muscle or getting lean it's like you know the the character and work ethic of the people and i was so lucky to have like a great group of people that set that standard in the 2010 11 12 years and then it just became this like this is the way you do it and every group after has kind of continued that that process well to flip that slightly back to you uh, leadership like we've discussed in science, we, we kind of grow into, you know, you, you don't, you don't wake up in your 18 or 22 years old and say, Hey, I'm going to be a leader. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like George Washington in his twenties in the French and Indian war, like on the front lines coming back from battle with literal musket holes through his jacket. You know, when you lead like that, as you said, if, if you're going to ask people to get lean, you want to show them you can be the leanest and your intensity and your drive is the greatest among your entire company. Like that, again, that you create the standard, you create the ethic that people follow. And even your interjection at that moment in your Facebook group, like that was a point where you could have handled it many different ways. You were instructional, you were positive, and you just had those core components of leadership, which even though we hopefully get better at it as we get older with more experience, like, like those, those remnants were there. And I think that's, that's why you emerged as, as one of the top coaches you are today. But as a way to just wrap this up, because again, the whole premise of this series is to look at the trajectory of where this personal coaching industry started in the nutrition world, how it developed, why it is where it is. And you were a big part of that. So looking back at your history, the last 14 years, what do you see now that you like, and what are you hopeful for the future in 20 years? Where do you want this to be? And, and what will your mark have been? So what I like now is there's just so much more access to good information. I mean, it is, it is fantastic. I mean, sometimes when I scroll through social media, I see knowledge readily available that I had to just dig for, you know, I mean, well, trial and error for years and dig for it. And now it's on everybody's Instagram or Facebook pages, which is outstanding. And I absolutely love it. Um, my hope is that um, there's an increasing push towards short form content, quick hit, 
content. And I believe that has its place, but my hope is that there will be an embracing of deeper content. You know, it seems like the trend line has been um, to go shorter and shorter, quick hit information as people's attention spans are, are shrinking. Um, I would like to see, I'm hopeful that there will be um, this, this want for deeper, more meaningful information. Um, I, I know that because I think that's where the real magic happens, you know, when you really get down into the, the nuance of everything. And, and that's the, that's the fun part when there's no clear cut black and white answer. That's the fun part for me. So I'm hopeful. I think right now there's this novelty of social media of quick hit information. And I, I do believe that it will come back to where um, there will be quick hit information for people that are just starting out. And then there will be more avenues um, for deeper in-depth discussions of things. And I guess, I mean, as far as my place and things go, I mean, it, it, it is cool, right? You, you, it's cool to think you were one of the first people to kind of start putting yourself out there and do it. And I do take pride in that. But, um, you know, ultimately, um, I'd say the things that I, I probably really want to be remembered for are the things more around my household with my daughter and my fiance and everything. Um, and, you know, ultimately, as the future goes on, I just hope I'm allowed... I hope there's always a place in for, for me in this industry to continue to do it as long as I choose to do it. <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't see myself being the guy that ever like fully retires. So um, I could see myself if I'm, you know, I'd like to be 70 years old one day, still coach some clients, you know, even if it's just a handful of them, I want to keep doing it. <laughs> well, I, I'm a little bit of a testament to the fact that you could definitely keep evolving <laughs> and find a place. Um you know, even, even as I had kind of left the industry and done some other things and come back, it's, it's one of the great benefits, I think, of not just our industry, but the entire economy and evolving social structures that we have, especially around social media, in that you, you create your own value. And as you have established that with such a great foundation, I have no doubt that as, as your life evolves, both socially, familially, occupationally, uh, you'll always find a place. A, because like I said, you, that that intensity is infectious. And especially when it's strength under control and with some resolve, like you exhibit. Uh, and, and the fact that you just still have that that hunger to keep improving, to help helping people. And, and so as, a, as the weirdness was in our relationship, that wasn't a relationship, but we've known each other for yeah. so long, uh, known of each other for so long, uh, it has just been a pleasure. I, I I knew coming into this interview, Cliff, that I would be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna regret not having known Cliff for the last ten or fifteen years, and and now I do. But what what a great opportunity to to get to know you now. No, I really appreciate having me on, and like I said, it was uh, yeah, it was definitely a weird start for you know because we never really spoke before. Um, I think I, I said a few words to you as I was getting ready to go on stage in 2008. But um, yeah, it's, it's good to actually do this finally. <laughs> awesome. Well, and, and my sincere thanks for you bringing such, such rigor, intensity, and that scientific thirst into our industry, because you are one of the good guys who are moving it forward in, in a place that I could only be thrilled with. So thank you, Cliff Wilson. I appreciate it. Thank you.